Hey, what's going on, guys? Dom the Movie Nerd here, and have you heard the good word? Game of Thrones is back! Well, not really, but the first official spinoff, House of the Dragon, is set to premiere next year on HBO, and that got me thinking about how Game of Thrones, the number one most-watched show for a decade, just seemingly disappeared from the culture after that god-awful finale. And I wanted to find out why, which is why I'm proud to present the newest hit show from the Talking TV network, Talking Thrones, the new weekly show where myself and friend of the channel, Professor Pat Huber, get together to break down each and every single episode of this hit show. We've got focus character segments, we break down the lore, we go over some old reviews, all to get to the question of where did this show go wrong? It's a really fun time. You guys are not going to want to miss this. So head over to the Talking TV channel on YouTube and Spotify to check it out. We go live every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Audio goes up the following Saturday. It's going to be a really great time as we once again battle it out for the throne. All right, people, this is the one that you've really been waiting for. As the internet has proven for like the last like couple months, we've got arguably the movie event of the year, the movie to end the year, even though we've got one podcast left after. This is our official talking TV review for Spider-Man No Way Home. That's really all I want to say because there is so much to break down about this movie that, yeah, I just want to get to this. Chris, you ready to do this? Yeah, but before we do that, Dom, quick question for you. The uh, the web slingers. Did you have a little device or does it just come out of your body? <sighs> Let's just get this going. How did I know that was going to be the first thing that you brought up on this stupid thing when we actually got it started? I knew that you were going to throw that at me. I'm like, oh, God, which of the umpteenth amount of jokes is he going to throw at me first? But people, we're officially here. It is the Spider-Man No Way Home review. This is arguably like the movie event of the year already. And Chris, before we even got started, like, I just wanted to break it down. Like, first and foremost, like... This was a lot of hype going into this movie. Like, a lot, a lot of hype. Like, there hasn't been this much hype for a movie going into a movie since, I would say, Avengers Endgame. So, I don't know. Like, yeah, I agree. Just, well, just because of, like, this is the year that, like, again, more than anything else, it feels like just the theaters have been struggling to, like, try and get any sort of advertisement out. And it's just, this, just the general overall interest in movies has just gone so low because of the pandemic, because of the weird haphazard return to theaters, because of the HBO Max, because of all the streamers, because people have now been conditioned by the pandemic to watch movies at home as opposed to actually going out and paying to see them in a theater. So there was like just a fraction of a chance before we actually started this as to whether or not this movie would actually do well. Needless to say now that is not at all the case, but this is the third official installment in the Tom Holland MCU trilogy of Spider-Man movie. This is the, from remembering off the top of my head, this is the eighth live-action Spider-Man film that we've gotten in theaters. This is the ninth Spider-Man film that we've gotten overall in theaters. This is coming off of a long canon of Spider-Man films and history. This has been this has been pretty big. I wanted to ask you, Chris, before we got started, because this is a question that I asked on our Spider-Man ranked video that we did earlier this week on Wednesday. Uh, we've had a lot of fun with that video, which is I know that obviously when it comes to comics, you're a bigger DC fan than a Marvel fan, but I just wanted to ask, like, what is your history with the character of Spider-Man? What does this character mean to you, if anything? And like, do you, I guess, have the same kind of relationship with him? 
across comics, movies, media, before we even get into this movie and this iteration of it. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that before we got started. Yeah, the Spider-Man comics, I would say, are, are some of the only Marvel comics that I actually have read and enjoyed. I've read a lot. I've I've read like a Hawkeye run. I've read a Captain America run. I actually read the, the run where they like faked you out that one week and they said Captain America was um, a part of Hydra. And then next week we learn it's just like, that's not the case. It was just like the little end grab. But I was like reading, I remember that was a big deal. I was reading that week to week. So like I, I started off in Marvel. Because of Spider-Man. Um, because I grew up with my older cousin, Michael, taking me to go see each and every single one of the Tobey Maguire movies opening weekend, multiple times a weekend. Um, and I absolutely love those films. They were great. They're a formative part of my childhood. I love Nickelback. Nickelback offered a phenomenal song for that third movie. I don't care what you say. They're a great band. There's a reason they're hated. It's because they've achieved things that most musicians only dream of. So get over it. And uh, I'm still not over how great those movies were. I think they're phenomenal. I mean, Doc great character obviously you know the green goblin phenomenal comic book villain they're they're great and and i haven't seen and i'll be honest up front about that i haven't seen the andrew garfield spider-man films you know it's strange he's my favorite modern day actor too so i gotta cross those off my list of his i'm just too in love with his crazy avant-garde choices that he's been making in the past like three four years so i i just don't know if i want like a more cut and dry mainstream version of him but i'll, I'll have to get to it but needless to say, I, I really love Spider-Man. I actually even have like a, a digital Spider-Man comic that's like really kind of cool that I just was like, I don't know why I want this, but like, I want this. So like, it's like the only comic I've bought in the past year was a Spider-Man uh, comic. So it's like, you know, I um I do actually like this character a lot. I know I kind of don't speak about him a lot when we talk about the MCU on the show, but that's also because like... If you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all, really. <laughs> um, and I like Spider-Man too much to, to diss him and, and drag him down with the uh, the rest of the formulaic jargon that you've heard me ramble against. So, yeah, I, I very much so was looking forward to this one going into it. It's a huge part of my childhood and nostalgia, and I can't wait to talk about the rest of that movie with you, man. Yeah, definitely. My, my history with the character has been interesting, to say the least, because my whole thing is that I was I would never necessarily consider myself like a Spider-Man man fan first and foremost like i didn't really get into reading the comics until i was in high school when i was reading the ultimate line of comics like a lot of other um what's it called like a lot of other comics that i was reading at the time and obviously i have fond memories about the toby Maguire movies but for me like i feel like my relationship really didn't start with spider-man until the andrew garfield movies right we obviously know all the baggage and all the stuff that goes behind um those two we, we obviously know all the baggage behind those two movies those two sets of movies, I should say, as they came out, obviously. The Tobey Maguire movies are obviously very, very revered. They have this great sense of nostalgia as being, like, really kind of the first set of successful superhero movies that came out that showed, oh, this isn't just a flash in the pan. This shows that, like, superhero movies could actually be successful. And the whole reception of the Andrew Garfield movie seemed to be, wow, okay, Andrew seems to be, like, a little bit more of an impressive casting over Tobey because a large part of the casting, uh, kind of the thing around Tobey Maguire seems to be just the fact that he is a little bit of a more awkward performer, so he didn't necessarily seem suited to the part, but the filmmaking around him was so good that necessarily it, it kind of propped him up and with Andrew you almost had a little bit of the opposite thing where that was Sony's attempt to like kind of copy and paste quite literally pun intended the MCU formula with like more of a glossy sleek edge to it um, and more of like kind of like a like a like a tech fueled almost like more sinister like underlying like spy like 
building out to an expansive universe sort of a feel. And Andrew, on the other hand, turned out to be, despite the fact that he's still a little bit too old to be playing him, still turned out to be like a great performer and like a great Spider-Man. And Andrew's gone on in interviews and talked a lot about how this was really such an, an important piece of his childhood, like growing up being a fan of Spider-Man and how important this was getting this role and then how he ultimately felt shortchanged when Sony chose to end that franchise preemptively uh, you know when the dealing with Marvel began way back when and the intro and the decision to revamp it with Tom Holland and bring him into the MCU and I will say that just as far as the MCU iteration of Tom Holland goes before we actually get into this movie, very hit or miss so far with me specifically. The Spider-Man movies for me, the reason to me why they've always stood out amongst like the rest of the Marvel muck, I guess you could call, is the fact that Spider-Man, despite being a kid, has always been very much so of a different, much more complex, much more interesting character than, say, a lot of the other ones. He always seemed to have that big Marvel relatability that even amongst relatable Marvel characters still felt like it was just that much more fresh and that much more nuanced with Spider-Man than it was. Because, like I, like I said in the Spider-Man ranked video, you're not watching, like, a billionaire or a dude that turns into a giant green dude or, like, an Asgardian guy. You're watching just, like, a regular everyday kid, you know, who's got these powers and who's got to, like, balance out this, like, kind of life struggle, you know? And... I guess, if anything, a lot of the criticisms that I had towards the first two Tom Holland movies outside of the typical MCU stuff, because I actually do think there's a decent amount of good stuff within those movies, is the fact that they felt really too light and schmaltzy for me personally. It felt like it was missing a lot of the gravitas and a lot of the um, a lot of the pathos that really makes Spider-Man such an engaging character, you know, is the fact that his villains seem so much more personally linked to him in a way that like a lot of the other vil comic book villains that we see fighting these heroes don't seem to be. And the fact that whenever one of his his loved ones does seem in peril. They seem in legitimate peril. And the fact that, like, he has lost a lot of loved ones over the years is just in general. And that, to me, has always been, like, kind of what sets Spider-Man, like, above the rest of the Marvel echelon. And I guess it's part of the reason why a few good things that got across in Homecoming and very, very few even less things that got across in Far From Home... I was always felt like I was missing something from these first two Spider-Man movies. I'm like, the acting is for the most part there, but they still feel like too schmaltzy and too Disney-esque. And especially with Far From Home, a large criticism that was also levied against them is the fact that they feel like Iron Man Jr. movies rather than actual Spider-Man movies. I will say that, that... Without getting into it's a training wheels, exactly. Program. So what I'll what I'll say about <laughs> this is for is if we can use this as our transition to actually start talking about this movie. Don't worry, we're gonna do a spoiler free segment. So anybody that is worried about like having not seen the movie yet and worried about it being spoiled, we're gonna talk about spoiler free for a decent amount of time. So once we actually get into spoilers, we will let you guys know ahead of time. But bringing it into this movie, I can definitely say first and foremost that what that while I don't think this is a perfect movie. I don't think that this is like. One of the best movies ever made. I'm not going to go that far. You know, I, I will admit, obviously, I've been a fan of Marvel. Whenever Marvel does something right, I will say that I've very much been a fan of their stuff. I know that their stuff gets, of, of you know, very formulaic, very kind of cut and dry, very, you know, you know, very, like, hitting all the beats, all of that. And I will say that this movie definitely had that. This movie is not necessarily something that is brand new or attempting to be brand new or anything like that. Like I said, you've talked a lot recently about superhero sickness. This is not a movie that's trying to kind of subvert any of those tropes. If anything, it's very much embellishing them. And I will say, but I will say, though, that first and foremost, why this movie worked for me personally is that I felt like it had a lot of the stuff that I was missing from those first two Tom Holland movies in that, okay, this is finally like the first instance that we get of like Tom Holland Spider-Man actually having to like have some agency, some, I'll say not a whole lot, but some agency on his own this movie gets a lot darker than the first two spider-man movies this movie i think d plays around with a lot of the spider-man lore and in a way that like the first two movies were almost scared of i'll say and i'll say for my money at least that this was 
for me, as far as it like kind of holding up to be in the movie event of the year, we've had so many of these in the last couple of years where just again, like they've been hyping up, up as like the movie event of the year and so many times they end up disappointing. This for me held up, which is and, and arguably the most disappointing year for movies ever. Like that, 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 that means a lot. And that says a lot to say the least, but I don't know. Like what, what are some of your spoiler free thoughts, Chris? Yeah, before we go any further, though, um, there, here's something that, you know, you could spoil us a little bit, if, if, if you will, by hitting that subscribe button, giving this video a like, a.k.a. the thumbs up. Not the thumbs down. We don't want those. You can, well, you, you can can't give many yourself. more because you, YouTube would. got rid of them, so... No, they're still, they're there. still there. They just don't show you how many. Yeah, they just don't show you how many you get. Oh, but, okay. You know, uh, another thing that they don't really tell you unless you dig deep is how many of your viewers aren't subscribed. And and there's an alarming amount of you guys who who watch our content. So first of all, thank you guys for coming out in droves day after day, week after week. But I mean, why aren't you subscribed at this point? I mean, just hit that little subscribe button. I'll save the exact percentage for later on, sort of give you guys a little hook to sink your teeth into and and find out how many of you guys aren't subscribed. But let's let's change that statistic. Like maybe if you guys subscribe now, by the end of this podcast, the data will up. And I'll be able to give a smaller number of you that are unsubscribed. And, and I think that'd be great. I think we can save the multiverse one subscriber at a time. So, or at least try, at least try to raise awareness to the formulaic schlock that we all consume without question. And so, yeah, before we sort of get into more specific topics, um, while we're in the spoiler free section, I do kind of want to um, harken back a bit to your comments about Tom Holland and his portrayal of Spider-Man in comparison to Tobey Maguire. See, I think that Tom Holland is the truest representation of what we get from page to screen, but he's not my favorite. I think he's great, and I really think he's coming to his own in the role. I, I think his introduction in Civil War, looking back at it now, was a bit rocky, but really it was just kind of like he was more of a device in that film, and, and obviously the real conflict there was was Cap and you know Tony sort of going at it and we, we we all know how that film goes we don't need to do a synopsis of it but I just felt that his introduction was a little manipulative and I think it also was sort of marred in like where's this character going we know it's on lease are they going to be able to do something long term with him and now here years later we kind of get to see the fruits of the labor of the negotiations coming together but but back then I think it made sense I think had they known how much Spider-Man they were going to be able to get in the form of Tom Holland. Maybe it would have been a little different. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's really cool what they're able to do sort of with all these different IPs and, 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 and balance them out and, and make this cohesive universe. But then again, I think that's part of like why some of us are frustrated because they are working within confines and constraints, which really is art about that. I mean, sure, there are some rules, but I think every good artist knows you learn the rules so you can break them because it's, it's, it's in breaking the rules where you achieve nuance. And I think that's a big critical complaint against the MCU as a whole. Like, is there nuance or is there just 32 minutes in insert joke because the last five films have had it? Granted, we know those arguments. We've had those conversations before. I think Tom Holland, while he does play by those rules, though, and that's why I bring it up. Because, yeah, he's a character in the MCU. He's not writing the movies. He's just portraying the character that's being written for. He he does a great job of of kind of letting you, um, kind of letting your guard down. It's like you go into this if you're someone like me who's on the fence about the MCU because you think it is a little tasteless at times and you are frustrated with how audiences seemingly again and again and again consume the same movie, just insert different character. 
But Tom Holland does a great job, and, and all the supporting cast and characters in this movie really do a great job of like letting you forget that you're like taking your medicine, you know, letting you forget that it's formulaic, um, <laughs> that that it's like prescribed to you, you know, like it, it, they they do a really good job. It's like when you're a little kid and like they have like those flavored vitamins, like you always like those better than like you know just like your standard cut and dry. Like they, it's kind of what it is. Like he does a good job of like like letting your guard down. But but I also think to your secondly to your point about the Tom Holland versus Tobey Maguire. I think a reason why until now I, I'm with you, I haven't been fully as fully impressed with him as Spider-Man. I think the first movie was very cut and dry, establishing the characters, really well done. I think it's, it's one of my favorite MCU movies, that first Spider-Man with Tom Holland. But it's like every other introduction. I, I can't say it's an origin story because now that we've seen right. No Way Home, really... These, this, this is like the longest origin story ever. It's a trilogy that is an origin story because he's just starting over again. Which it's that's look, DC does the same thing, right? They just keep rebranding, rebirth, flashpoint, whatever. Yeah, it's kind of it's, a thing that's, that's how that, comic book that, characters yeah, that's go. how comic books have done it since time of memorial. Yeah, but but this was bold to to keep us. To, to have us watch a origin story from 2017 to now, 2016 really, if you count his appearance in Civil War to now, like that's bold. That's a bold move. But I just think it's like the fact that Tom Holland is the true portrayal of the younger Spider-Man, and this is where I was going with that long introduction. The stakes aren't going to feel as high until they do, and I think it's because with Toby and and I'm assuming with Andrew clearly not looking as young, clearly not portraying as young of a Spider-Man. You can play with more adult themes there. Whereas with Tom Holland, uh, you kind of can't. Like his relationship is very high school because he's the true high school character. And like the way he sees the world is very juvenile and young because, because he is young. Like he doesn't think to call the school and petition because he's still learning like the way that red tape works and the way that, you know, um, (laughs) hierarchies and, and, and establishment structures work. So he doesn't think he just like, well, I know this wizard, he can fix things. Like it's such a young kid thought process. Like he's a brilliant book, smart kid, but he doesn't have the common sense. Whereas I, always felt with Toby he was treated a little older and I think I mean obviously the Sam Raimi movies work no one's saying that so I think like if if what I can contribute before we jump out of the spoiler free section is I love this portrayal but because we get to see all three of the Spider-Man portrayals I don't think any of them are weak really I just think they're all beautiful for what they are and I'm so excited to go and watch the Andrew Garfield movies now and, and I think, like, spoiler-free thoughts, I think this movie should give you an appreciation for just how well Spider-Man's been handled on the big screen, which I don't think a lot of other characters can really say for themselves, <laughs> you know? Like, Batman, I mean, there's some good yeah. ones, there's some bad ones from yeah. what I hear. And Superman, just, I mean, come on, you know? They're not trying to bring back George Clooney in the Batman movies anytime soon, I can tell you that much, even though they, even though Flashpoint is bringing back Michael Keaton. So, hey, man, look, look the, the DC right. Marvel ripoff train never, never stops, is all I'm going to say. All I'm going to say in order to wrap up, like, my spoiler-free section is that as far as like kind of your points on Tom Holland like you're 100% on the money as far as him like again this the thing about Tom Holland is the fact that because you actually get the sense that he actually like feels like a young kid unlike Toby and Andrew like those movies work and don't work in their own individual ways but like the thing that you can say is that like they do actually every time it feels like he makes a mistake because he's like a young kid and doesn't actually know that much it feels legit in a way that I feel like a lot of other properties recently wouldn't have done like i remember having a lot of arguments with my friends back in the day who were like it doesn't make any sense he would never do anything like that i'm like yeah it does because this is the first time we're actually seeing spider-man as a freaking kid on screen which it's like 
Say what you will about Toby and Andrew, but like there's always going to be like an air of legitimacy around them because the dudes are 27 and 29 in their first intro, you know? And the fact that like most of the high schools around them like look that age, you know? So there's always going to be like more of a like an air of maturity and like of them playing faux high schoolers rather than actual high schoolers. And that's always been a thing that I will say that like these John Watts movies have definitely gotten the most accurate, we, even with all of kind of like my problems in there with them and as far as this movie kind of being like the culmination and being like the longest most drawn out origin story for it like you hit that right on the money there so like really no more that i can contribute to spoilers because honestly if, if, if i keep my mouth shut on spoiler on spoilers <laughs> for any longer i might explode because there is so much shit that happens so much shit that is dropped in this movie and we're gonna get into that all right now so this is the official timestamp, people if you do want to not want to get spoiled if you have not seen this movie yet click out of the this video on the 20 minute mark we will officially be spoiling the shit out of this movie so please once again i cannot reiterate i do not want to hear any complaints in the comment section at all spoilers from here on out so click away on the 20 minute mark but before you do chris has something to tell you about subscriber data oh yeah chris True. Before you click off, click on the subscribe button. It's really that simple. Um, I think uh, an alarming 117% of you are unsubscribed, and I think that that comes from just like scrolling by on screens. So really, if you like cut that number a little bit, it's like 93% of you are unsubscribed. But like that's a big number. I hope we can lower that number. So please join us for more amazing Spider-Man content. Dom, AJ, and Matt of Basic Entertainment uh, and AJ of AJ Reacts Two recently did a Spider-Man ranked video. We're covering the Matrix next. The Matrix next week. We have a lot coming up for the new year subscribe guys subscribe 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 and just know we really appreciate it dom take it away man let's All get right, into spoilers man spoilers so there was a lot that happened in this movie and you brought up something that i really wanted to tackle first and foremost which is the idea of for me at least i wanted to no but this is serious right I, i'm not doing this as like a joke or digging you i really am i want to break down your thoughts on because to me i think this is a perfect example where we can have this discussion which is the idea of what is quote unquote too much fan service versus what is necessary for the story because what i'll say for this movie is that all of our all of our jargon, all of our arguments about like MCU stuff behind the scenes, like kind of you know corporate marketing and studio meddling, factoring into final products and everything, and all of that aside, what I will say is that this movie, first and foremost, as an homage to Sony's entire problematic history with the portrayal of the character on screen, the fact that they have been trying really before the entirety of the MCU to make this character work, but they really never under really never had the tools or really never had the uh, kind of the vision that Kevin Feige did in order to try and bring all of these characters onto the big screen and now obviously they have the multiverse they've been hinting at that for like throughout this entire year since WandaVision all the way back in the beginning of the year there were hints going in and a lot of fan speculation that this was going to have a lot of multiverse stuff and potentially other iterations of characters that we'd seen in other movies other iterations of Spider-Man perhaps but it was all kind of like in, in, in the background right there was still like I'm honestly kind of amazed that they were able to do this which is how they were able to like keep them like kind of bottled up and hidden and on the down low up until the point where they kind of couldn't and then in the second trailer they kind of revealed oh yeah literally every single villain almost from all the other movies except for the ones that people don't like like you're not seeing any Topher Grace's Venom from Spider-Man 3 you're not seeing James Franco's Harry Osborn you're definitely not getting Dane DeHaan's Harry Osborn from the Amazing Spider-Man movies but essentially like to me like how uh, Kevin Feige and Amy Pascal were able to kind of pay homage to Avi Arad, who was the original Spider-Man producer that was on all of the all of the Tobey Maguire movies and all the Mark Webb movies and had been trying to do Sinister Six for years on end and was unable to do it right. This movie kind of acting as an homage to that, while at the same time managing to factoring that all into the multiverse stuff and all into the whole, you know, wrapping up Tom Holland's art. There's a lot. There was a lot 
that this movie has to deal with. And the biggest criticism, obviously, is the fact that every time it felt like a Spider-Man movie tried to do this in the past, your Spider-Man 3s, your Amazing Spider-Man 2s, it felt like it fell apart and it felt like they didn't have that they weren't able to kind of fix it. But first and foremost, before we got into before we get into it, right? At what point for you do you feel that if anything, the fan service started to overtake the story? Because I have my thoughts on it, but I wanted to hear your take on it first. The quote unquote fan service, I should say. There's not really a specific point, and I will preface this by saying that coming out of the theaters, I was ecstatic. I, I was completely in love with this movie, but it wasn't until the drive home when I started to think about what it was that I watched, and I think, <laughs> unfortunately, my film school brain kind of kicked in and, and, and deprived me of just basking in the fun that I had because our audience was ecstatic. When Garfield showed up on screen, we cheered. When 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 McGuire showed up on screen, we screamed, and it was amazing, and it was so much fun. And I think that's why you go to the opening weekend theater experience, you know, because you want that rush, that adrenaline, the share in that communal experience. But then I realized, we're not really, like, this is, this is just plot lines that we've already seen in other movies. There's, there's bad blood that we already know, and there's, what, what really is being introduced here that's new, you know, because it's really just a hard reset for Spider-Man. It's, it's a nice ending point, and, and each movie can be viewed as one act, two act, and three act in an origin story, but in my, in my opinion, the problem is that there really isn't something new for Tom Holland to do. He, there's not really like this this new call to succeed other than the same motivations we've seen him have in the past. So I felt like they didn't really introduce anything new. They just brought back characters. We get to see them in a new light. We get to see a little bit more of uh, Doc Ock as, as like a, a good guy, which we know he becomes a good guy at the end, but then he dies before, like right before, like right after that happens. So we actually get to see him like as this wholesome character again for the first time in a long time. But again, that's like all things that we know about from a past timeline, from another multiverse, or from another universe in the multiverse, and we never really, I felt, had like a super hard thread that was Tom Holland's unique and only his struggle throughout this film. It was always like, I am going to do right by the rest of the multiverse, and I guess in a sense you could say that his struggle was trying to repair the multiverse because maybe by messing up Doctor Strange's spell, he did the damage in the first place. But I thought that that wasn't as strong as it was after we got introduced to Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire and we started to amend the fact that to uh, Andrew Garfield's character lost his Gwen. So then that moment of him catching MJ, he tears up because he kind of realized like, wow, I kind of got this moment back. Like I, I, I stopped myself in another multiverse from losing what I lost. But it felt like we were resolving everything, but... Tom Holland's Peter Parker's storyline, and, and this is Tom Holland's Peter Parker's universe. And so that's just kind of where I felt like the fan service was excellent and it was really well written. I just felt like the Spider Man of the MCU kind of was being like the best friend ever, the best wingman of all time, like looking out for his bros before himself, but also because he had no one to look out for. It's like, it's like that, that that friend who goes out with his single friends, it's like, there's not, there's not going to be much for him to do there. So he might as well just wingman because he has a girlfriend and like, there's no way he's going to, or married or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he can't fraternize or mingle because 
He's 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 hitched. So like he's obviously going to be a good wingman. But that's like self-explanatory. That's like a given. So that's just kind of how I had felt about it. And Professor Pat and I were talking and we kind of both realized like, all right, so if we come out of this like euphoric, amazing feeling, which the movie definitely gave us, was there really something? Because everyone else, even MJ, right? She realized like, all right. I'm going to move on with my life. I'm going to go to MIT. I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm going to like help Peter and then Ned, right? Ned realizes like, oh, he might, he might end up working with Juan and being a young disciple and and start training. He has this magic in his family and maybe it's not just what his grandma was saying. Like they introduced new things for those characters, you know, like MJ would prevail. She changed her mantra of saying everything was this negative defeatist thing that we've seen from the first two movies to actually being positive for once. Like she had a growth there. However small it was, she's a really supporting cast character. So it's okay that it was smaller, but like even those guys had like some growth, right? Jamie Foxx's character, he had growth. All the villains, like they had their arc, even if, even if a lot of it was borrowed from the other movies, but that's so forgivable. That's the point in this. Like, I'm not, ma- I'm not mad about that. I actually really enjoyed this film, but I just am left wanting. I, I just feel like Tom Holland's character got a bit deprived, and it's his movie. Interesting, you know? Okay, no, I, I get, I absolutely get where you're coming. Does that from. make sense? I do. Yeah, because that that was a big that was a big thing for me coming out of this. Is after a while, like, look, I need to wait until the euphoric feeling washes off of me because I would, dude, I'm not gonna lie, I, I was on I was on a high for this movie for like three days straight. It was nuts. I saw this movie on Thursday. I'm still feeling it a little bit now, and I don't I, blame you. I needed to wait and figure out. I'm like, okay, am I feeling this way because this was a legitimately awesome movie and how they were able to factor in all of the other like kind of nostalgia and member buried things, or is is this all that is and this movie is once again yet another hollow mcu product that doesn't actually have anything of merit to it and for all of your points and more i absolutely agree i think the biggest reason why this movie works outside of that stuff is the fact that they actually did put in the time and the effort to actually give these villains to give all these extended characters like kind of the wrap-up they deserve because like i said this is not only in a way wrapping up kind of this sect of tom holland's arc this is also wrapping up like now 20 years of spider-man baggage that we've had you know because again it's been widely talked about the toby Maguire movies they were the reason why spider-man three kind of only feels like half of a finale is because they were supposed to get a fourth movie that the vulture was going to be in and that ultimately did not happen because of the negative reception of spider-man three and then andrew garfield how he was supposed to get a third movie and a whole spider verse that they were going to do a solo sinister six movie and that ended up being yanked because of the sony hack so now this movie is kind of having to wrap up all of those different arcs all within this one movie while also having to wrap up Tom Holland's art. But for me, what it comes down to is this. I think it comes, because I've talked about this previously, how it comes down to one movie, because you're right in the sense of like, okay, what exactly is there for Tom Holland to do? And I was, it's interesting because I was literally talking about this with my brother, like right before we hopped on the screen. And my whole thing that it came down to was, I'm like, for me, the reason why this movie works for what's it called balancing out the fan service in a way that like all a lot of the previous Marvel movies have have worked you know I've talked previously about like kind of what it is of when Marvel is at its best which is where it's able to take all of these different characters that we all have some sense of familiar with and all balance them off each other in a really rich and interesting way that kind of gives each of them something to do and gives each of them like their own little mini arc that all provides for one really satisfying finale that I will even say that this finale by even by MCU standards was like top tier because this is like the first MCU finale where even among all the CG baggage it was still really well choreographed we still were following each of these characters we knew each of these characters we had some sort of invested stake in all of these characters so it didn't just feel like mindless MCU CG jargon just thrown at the screen like easily like I think that we can all agree that the third acts of all the MCU movies that we've gotten throughout the rest of this year, 2021, just exclusively have just been like mind-numbing CG, like what the fuck is going on? In fact, it's still my biggest problem with Shang-Chi is the fact that Shang-Chi, for the most part, has a really compelling 
hero villain arc throughout. And then the third act, they kind of just shortchange it for like, oh yeah, giant CG dragon. Okay, cool. And that's still like my well, biggest they problem. Do the, they do the amazing Wonder Woman 1984 thing where they spend all this money on a CG budget, but then they don't light it properly. Right, that too, that too. So you can't see what's that, going on. That too. This movie did not have those problems. And what I will say is that for me, what it comes down to is the fact that this is really the first Tom, and kind of where it saves it for me with Tom Holland, is this is... The reason why I think it works is because this is the first MCU movie where Tom Holland actually has to make a decision on his own and actually has to deal with the consequences of his actions in a way that really none of the previous movies, and in a strange way, none of the really the previous MCU movies, with the exception of a few, Age of Ultron, I would throw in there, um, has to actually deal with the consequences of their own actions because the MCU always has a magical way of tying everything up in a nice, neat little bow that really does deprive their characters of these really rich, satisfying conclusions, which, again, is a very legitimate criticism that even I have brought forward against the MCU in its past. But this movie what I'll bring it what I'll break it down to is the fact that for Tom Holland to ultimately again like do one of the most selfish of selfish acts in the sense of where and again as Daredevil and I'll put it there yeah we get Charlie Cox's Daredevil in this right roughly at the same you're caught up on Hawkeye, right? Okay, good. So I, okay, so I could good that for all Hawkeye fans. Right at the same time that we get Kingpin back in Hawkeye, like my mind almost exploded at that one. But as he said, which I thought was again like one of like in a weird way, like one of kind of the low key like underrated aspects of this movie is like, yeah, you were cleared of all charges, roughly, but now you're you're in the court of public opinion, and I think that's really fascinating for as as we've been talking about and having our problems with the court of public opinion all of the last two years, and for yeah. this movie to kind of bring that up and have that, I think be a very legitimate point. It's like, yeah, he's a teenager. It makes sense that he would be swayed by the court of public opinion like that was the thing that honestly made the most sense to me which is where it's like of course he's going to be an irresponsible teenager and he's going to try and use magic to fix all of his problems because what like right. dumb <laughs> what dumb Gen Zer glued to their phone have grown up their entire lives like with the internet providing their every women need who wouldn't do that you know especially if they do have a sorcerer in their back pocket and the fact that he does fuck up the spell and the fact that he in a way kind of I, I love the back and forth that he has with the villains when he actually meets them as far as like kind of like his conjuring with the multiverse. And like for me, the fact that and I know a lot of people had a problem with this, but for me, the fact that because he doesn't have the baggage of the previous movies and because he doesn't know these guys and he doesn't have this personal connection with all these guys the way that we, the audience do and the way that the um, and the way that, uh, you know, the other two Spider-Men do. I think it's really fascinating that he kind of like goes out of his way to like try and help them and try and be a hero and try and fix them like that. That part for me surprisingly really, really worked. And I know that's a big source of tidbit and the fact that because of his direct actions there and his decision to go against Doctor Strange and to actually you know actually try and help them because look look from a logistics standpoint yeah any one of us is pushing that magic box and sending them all back to their dimensions. We're not trying to help them. We're not trying to fix them. We're not trying to be like, oh, yeah, we're totally going to like have these guys just in a random apartment. We can totally trust all these guys who were like, this guy turns into sand and this guy generates electricity and this guy's a giant lizard and this guy's got tentacle arm, robot tentacle arm. Yeah, we would totally trust those guys and, and, and you know, that, that they're all totally sane, you know? And in a strange way, again, it, it's the most difficult part to get over in the movie, but in a strange way, how he does ultimately suffer the kind consequences from that when goblin turns and when spoiler spoiler goblin kills may and and they do that little twist on the spider-man uh origin mythos you know i thought it was all really well handled and like all that emotion stuff like it hit for me and again how they were able to pull off the ending where his trade-off 
that he has to do in order to fix everything, quote unquote, fix the multiverse, right? It's, it's another one of the things where needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, right? And I can't believe I'm talking about this because I've spent all goddamn year complaining about superhero movies. And this literally just does all the basic things to me that superhero stories are supposed to do, quote unquote. And the fact that it hits them all so well, I think, it's like, wow, he literally has to give up his entire life for everyone to forget just to like fix everything. Like that to me was like utterly gut-wrenching. And yeah, okay, sure, you could make the no, argument yeah. it's like okay, it's it's magic, it can all be undone. But for me, like, all of that stuff worked. And that's before we even get into Toby and Andrew when they come in. Like, the fact that, I'll say this, the probably the most surprising thing is the fact that they, they, they obviously, Toby and Andrew were so hyped up going into this as, like, such a big area of, like, of, like, um, of, of, of internet, of internet, um, oh my god, what's the word I'm looking for? Of internet speculation. And mm -hmm. they only show up for the, la for the last act. Which is crazy to me how much they were able to do with those two specifically in the last act. But I, I don't know. What's what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, their screen time felt very generous too. They felt fleshed out, and it felt like they brought the worlds that they lived in and contributed their lived experiences and their verses to the overall universe of the MCU by proxy of the multiverse and it was really cool and really great and I, I thought that they handled them very well like it was a very star-studded cast and and i felt like no one stepped on the toes of of, of the the next performer there was a great symbiosis a great chemistry between all of these actors they really played off each other you know there was bad blood meets old blood meets meets new scorn and it was just like all really well done it was it was very opera operatic in a sense, um, you know, not in the sense that it was classical, but in, in like the, the dramatic nature that comes from like, you know, those operas. And and it's it was really cool to see it done in a superhero movie because it kind of goes back to the, the last point you raised. It, it was, yeah, nothing we hadn't seen before. And while I do wish that, you know, Tobey Maguire's, uh, not, not Tobey Maguire's, I'm sorry, Tom Holland's Spider-Man did have sort of like a um a little bit more of uh, an onus over his own journey in this movie it, it also in a sense and, and here's why I, I, my score will reflect as high as it does towards the end of this it does reflect his characterization because while the other spider-mans are good-hearted and good-natured i mean you know toby Maguire let those thugs who kill uncle ben go at first Tom Holland was always out there trying to be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, you know, like no crime was small enough for him. <laughs> he didn't care if you're doing bad. He was genuinely going to go out there and try and help. And, and his ability to not even question when Aunt May says, you don't kill, you don't do that. You did the right thing, even though someone gets hurt right in the, in the end of the first act. I, I think it makes sense. And that's why it's justifiable that. Yeah, he is trying to solve everyone's problems, and that becomes his problem because maybe he's the best Spider-Man that we've seen morality-wise. Not that they're not super moral and strong and just, but each of those characters, like especially with Tobey Maguire and, and the comics I've read, they kind of become good to make up for something. Whereas Tobey Maguire, I mean, uh, whereas Tom Holland is, I think, inherently just good hearted and, and wants to help. And, and so sort of zooming out now, keeping that sentiment of Tom Holland in mind, I really love the web that uh, Feige's weaving. And I know he's done this, this isn't new, but I really like where phase four is, is going, even though I didn't specifically like the, uh, you know, tiny little blip of WandaVision. I do think it was strong and important characterizations. I like how we're seeing Dr. Strange sort of, 
on the outs with his sanity, losing his touch, going through like a crisis, no longer the Sorcerer Supreme by nature of a technicality. Juan has the role, obviously still treated with respect by Juan, but I feel like Strange is losing his touch and I wonder what's going on there. But they did it so... In a way, like I feel like a lot of Marvel is advertising for the next product in the show or the movie we're watching but I feel like in Phase 4, it's been a little bit less of an advertisement. It's It's been genuine, organic characterizations. Now, whether they land or they don't land, that's up for you to determine. And clearly, there's been some controversial opinions on shows like WandaVision. If you go back and watch our WandaVision series, you might be surprised what we thought about it in comparison to the zeitgeist. And we know other critics who also weren't as favorable as, as the majority. Then obviously Falcon and Winter Soldier was received with mixed reviews. Hawkeye's mixed reviews. But like I at least I at least feel like throughout this phase, like they're playing to the strengths of the characters and it feels organic for once. Like I find myself laughing more when the jokes that I know are coming come and I find myself feeling more when the emotional moments that I know are going to arise happen and it's not that Feige's not a master of his craft at this point he, he is I think that there's like a, a filmic nuance that's kind of being sprinkled into phase four while you still have a formula I feel like it's in a sense like healing itself you know so I think it's very like um I think it's very um, reflective of like Tom Holland's journey, you know, like he's got this arc to sort of fix and fix and fix. And I just feel like it just feels super organic. And I think like, honestly, looking back on it, since I, I did throughout the course of this pandemic, sort of really get a new understanding of the MCU that I never had before. I think Tom Holland and Spider-Man, the introduction of this character is, is kind of like, the perfect stepping stone for like adding nuance and 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 like taste and class back into like these very formulaic movies not that they didn't have it before but i think like really making them feel like films again not just like blockbuster fair like this felt like a film at the same time as having a blockbuster fair and it's crazy because like if there was ever a red carpet cast i mean you could have they could have walked for hours with oh, how yeah. many names were oh, in this so movie. Oh, so many. Like, like, I, I even made this point. It's like, wow, you have five villains in this movie, and three out of the five of them are Academy Award-nominated actors. Like, Willem Dafoe, Jamie Foxx, and Thomas Hayden Church are all Academy Award-nominated actors. Like, that's wild when you think about it. And in their own right, they all deserve, like, you know, a lead role. But it's just amazing. It was just a great culmination. And so I think, like, Spider-Man is really important to the MCU. And so that's why, like, I do think writing-wise, it's it's a choice I wouldn't have made to have made him be the ultimate helper. And, and, and in my opinion, to not necessarily have, like, a, a through line that is entirely his own as, as, as we want and are used to from our heroes. But I'm kind of okay with the way they rewrote it here because I think like how they played into Tom Holland's characterization and what he's brought to the MCU since he's gotten here is so powerful and so strong. So I think like if this is the trilogy and this is, if this is truly the end, I know that they're speaking about potentially maybe more movies. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's certain right now, but if this is the end, I think it's a great ending point. Yeah. I really think it's a great ending point. And I think it like, it's ref I feel refreshed, you know, like I feel yeah. like we're finally away from Thanos now. I know they bring him up from time to time, but I feel like we're truly moving into 
we're moving off we're moving out of our endgame hangover and truly moving into the next era and i kind of like what's being brought into it that i felt wasn't there before and i think it's all because of spider-man yeah what this movie i'll say in order to kind of like wrap up really my spoiler dogs i feel like you 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 hit the nail on the head and hit all the points beautifully i'll say that this is the first mcu movie that actually gave me kind of hope for the future and actually made me see okay no now i start to see where it's going again it really is to me like this is feige's attempt at like revising all the kind of the mistakes they made between phases one and two as far as like certain other character moments like bringing back certain characters character motivations really doing the time putting in the time and the work to make each and every single thing that's come out this year really character focused and really actually like focused on like not just the easter eggs and having like a fully fleshed out arc throughout you know and this is really you're right as far as like this actually feeling like a movie and actually feeling really refreshing and actually kind of showing like a new direction for where marvel could go and you're right as far as like kind of the future of spider-man within the mcu that one i kind of want to leave alone because it's like there, there's too many conflicting reports right now as far as what Tom Holland wants versus what Kevin Feige's saying versus what Amy Pascal is saying. There's a lot of different conflicting reports. Really, the only other point that I wanted to bring up before we wrap this up, and uh, once again, people, before we get into our next segment, be sure to also click the subscribe button, click the like button, click the bell next button, go follow our new Instagram page, at official Talking TV podcast. It's right there on the bottom left right there. I wanted to talk to you real quick about like kind of the MCU of it all because it's inevitable it's an inevitable part of kind of our conversations which is that is there even really a necessary barrier for entry at this point or is there just the fact that like the MCU is so big and vast now that really people can just come in at any point and just watch whatever, you know, and then eventually like get caught up on everything else because it's like the the phrase like, you know, the MCU being too big to fail, right? That that's a phrase that's been bounced around a lot this year both, you know, kind of with their reintroduction into the pop culture status after not being releasing a bit of product in the year of COVID which ended up kind of being the best thing for them and, you know, kind of the mixed reception and like their reintroduction into the pop culture and wondering whether they were going to be able to be as big and a lot of points specifically around like diehard MCU fans like oh are they ever going to be able to overcome you know Thanos and Downey and Endgame and everything are they going to have a future and this really being the first movie that actually shows like oh okay so there is actually it's not much as far as for the future of the MCU more so is like a Spider-Man thing but this does show that there is something in the future of the MCU and also if you're catching both post-credit scenes right not only with how they can kind of mix and mesh around and kind of this is like kind of their attempt to placate Sony when they were in the process of just yanking the character away from Marvel back in 2019 uh, after the success of Venom and everything. And now, obviously, you know, you have the Morbius movie coming out and you had the Venom tease at the end of Venom, Let There Be Carnage and all that. It's like, I guess my question is like, what is the barrier for entry really within within the MCU anymore? Like, does that even matter? You know, like, is the MCU, I guess, too big to fail? You know, as we've talked this year all about superhero sickness, but even with all our critiques of Marvel, it once again seems like, yeah, they are still too big to fail. Yeah, so I got, I think, three different points I could tackle from this perspective because, yeah, it's something I've also been thinking about a lot too. The first is, at this point, I think the formula, even if it's unfamiliar to you, like, let's say you're someone who is just taking an interest into movies for the first time and you're like you know what these superhero movies are pretty big i'm gonna go and see it they've got it down to such a science that even if you're coming in like uh, professor pat who had seen the first spider-man he did not see 2019 so he went from 2017 not seeing 2019 right into 2021 he didn't miss a beat he felt that he saw everything he needed he got all the refreshers he needed he was locked and loaded and thrust into the story no discrepancy no questions so they've got it down to a science at this point but it is obviously more enriching if you go through watch them all chronologically have been along for the ride from the start to the finish for example i assume i assume and i would hope a viewer who got who has been with the spider-man series since 2017 really enjoyed that moment where you know the 
Peter Parker in the conclusion walks up to MJ in the store uh, where she's working, sees Ned sitting and like wants to tell her so badly, wants to give her the note in his pocket, but can't. And then the movie does do a good job of like explaining that relationship. But like, if you have like the way she's watching him in the first one in the back of your head and then their relationship fully budding in the 2019 one, it makes it all the more sweeter. But, but it's still very easy to understand had you only seen 2019. So that's point one. The formula is down to a, such a T that I don't think there's a barrier to entry at all. Point two, I think it's it's really like one of those things where the genre is just so big now where you kind of can't escape it. So even if like you are on the fringe of like pop culture, like if there's one thing you know, you know, like superhero movies, I, I feel personally the word of mouth is, is where I'm going with this. Like anyone can sort of explain to you like a superhero's origin story. If, if you gave them five minutes, if they're a theater goer, like, you know, a critic or fan, like it's, 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 it's pretty easy the way that like the formula has been spread, you know, everyone's like, in a sense, like been vaccinated with like the MCU formula. Like they're good. They're, they're protected against, um, any confusion I think that would potentially seep its way in. And then lastly, I think, that they do such a, a good job of the promotion. And it's uh, the last point I want to make as well is I thought it was a little tasteless how we got a trailer as the second end credit scene. But not they still the first had time everyone... the MCU has done that, though. I will add that. The post credit no, scene. I know. Yeah. They did it for Endgame. And for, and for, I, for I, the I, first Captain America as well. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, all the way I, back I just when. think it's. I think it's tasteless. But the thing is, everyone sits through the credits now because we know. Yeah, we know we're trained. so groomed to it. We're trained. So it's free advertisement at that point. You sneak a, what if, let's say there's 15 trailers in the beginning, you snuck a 16th in, we're none the wiser because we had like a little moment between Wanda and Dr. Strange and we were dying for that moment in WandaVision, but they didn't give it to us. So I, I think it's a mixture of the formula being so sound and safe. Like it's like the secret formula that's never getting out the, the Krabby Patty formula. Right. I think it's also like the people who have taken the formula and, and like sort of welcoming everyone else into the cult, like the word of mouth, like they're really doing their part as the fans. And then the last factor is, I think it's just, like I said, throughout the course of this, they fi- figured out a way to still look ahead without making it feel like an advertisement, but knowing that like Hawkeye is just a soft introduction for um, Haley Steinfeld's new character, knowing that, <laughs> you know, like basically Loki is like a way to introduce like the TVA and all of this type of stuff through a character we know and love. Like they really, they figured out a way to like even get people like me to be like, man, we're being advertised to right now, but it's 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 better than it was. It's more nuanced. So they're just firing on all cylinders. And so yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, they're. I think like they're like curing superhero sickness. I hate to say that coming into this year, whoa, I felt very sick. Whoa. But I think like put a pin yeah, in that, people. We'll put see. a pin in that, we'll people. I'm, dude, I am. I am fucking <laughs> clipping that. I am putting that all over all of our social media profile. I hope I'm, you know that. I, I am know. I saving I, that I, as it came out of my mouth. In memoriam. I can't believe I just I, heard that. Matt, you hear that? I'm you starting that, to feel Matt? better. I'm starting to feel better. We'll see if I'm fully oh, cured. Man. As, as phase four develops, but I'm starting to feel That's better. My runny nose crazy. is going away. That's crazy is all that I got to say. Well, I mean, I and it shows too, because in a year where it's like all the movies that we typically like to watch outside of superhero movies have been largely unsatisfying. I, I, it just goes to show, you know, 2021. My top two are superhero movies. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. So with that being said, final thoughts and star ratings? 
Yeah. Um, final thoughts and star ratings. I think this is a 4.5 out of 5. Hell um, yeah! Hell it's yeah! such a strong, such a strong movie. I, I, I mean, it's because it, I realized through the course of this podcast that while I do feel like my critique is valid, it's, it's a matter of taste, which for the longest time I felt like it was not a matter of taste when it comes to the MCU, uh, that my, my concerns and my problems were objective and not subjective. So it's really nice to feel like my, my issues that are holding me back are a creative difference. Like, I feel like I watched, I feel like, you know, like in great movies, you feel like you have a conversation with the artist, yes. like they're imparting their artistic thing onto you. And if yes. you're an artist, you, I feel like I finally had that conversation for the first time in a long time. And I've been having it slowly, but surely as, as we've gotten to the second half of, of this year with phase four and stuff. But I really felt like I had a conversation with this one, which was awesome. So yeah, 4.5 out of 5. What about you, Dom? People officially marked this occasion. The MCU has finally won Chris over. That for me is like a bigger <laughs> takeaway than anything else that we possibly could have talked about on this entire podcast. So I just wanted to bring that up. But yeah, for all the points that you said and more, you took the words right out of my mouth. This movie was just so special for so many different reasons. For this being finally the movie that got me on board with the Tom Holland iteration of Spider-Man. For this to so beautifully wrap up all the kind of the history of Spider-Man that we've watched on screen. For this to also just be like a great movie just outside of that the way that it's able to balance and mesh all these different storylines and plot lines and all this quote-unquote fan service. The emotions are all there. The stakes are there for what feels like the first time in a long time in the MCU, in the MCU, you know? It finally felt like we were back to, like, having, like, that event viewing that us MCU viewers of the big screen had been so, had become so conditioned to, and I had a lot of fun with it. I gasped at it. I had a great theater experience. That's all I can really say as far as, like, kind of, because you really kind of nailed all the major critiques. So for all of that and more, without kind of me adding my unique stand this is once again four and a half out of five stars this is easily making my top 10 of the year i cannot wait this all dude you have no idea this already made like my top our top 10 list of the of of, of easily movies of 2021 like one of my most anticipated episodes that are upcoming for next year but i'm just so happy because the mcu finally won you over after all these years <laughs> all these arguments i feel like i feel like we're at I full circle a moment Stockholm here dude. or a placebo or if it's just genuine we'll hey, find man, out in time. We'll, we'll find out only time will tell look we got we look they, look we got one episode of Hawkeye that we got a little bit of an MCU break you know before we're inundated with Star Wars because we got Book of Boba Fett coming up in January and then yep and then uh, what's it called then we'll figure out if we're going to get a TV show a Marvel TV show before uh, before Doctor Strange 2 drops in May because we've only got three MCU movies next year they've officially pulled back on the docket but people that was it it's, it's officially over. We we're on a bit of an MCU break. No way home. That was the official review. Let us know what you guys thought in the comments below. Let us know if you thought that we nailed all of the points and all and more in this movie. Let us know your thoughts all in the comment section below. Be sure to click the like button and the subscribe button. Follow us on our all social medias. We are officially back on Instagram at official talking TV podcast. Make sure you go and follow us there. We've got so much more content to give to you guys all just in the last two weeks of the year. We've got Matt, AJ, and I are coming back this week to rank this time all of our Marvel phase four things that we've gotten this year in 2021. That goes up on Wednesday, but you're really going to want to tune in next week for the finale of 2021. That's right. We've got four giant, huge videos coming to you in the last week of 2020-21. Count it down with me. We've got our Matrix review, our final podcast of the year. 
Adam, Dustin, and I are going live to talk about Don't Look Up, Adam McKay's problematic new movie on Netflix, or so I've heard. Wednesday, Chris and I are giving you guys our debut for our first of our recap shows that we're doing for 2022, where we will be recapping the Book of Boba Fett, and we'll be recapping the first two episodes that drop that Wednesday. And that Thursday, Dustin and I will be wrapping up the year with our Paul Thomas Anderson retrospective, where we talk about licorice pizza, we talk about Paul Thomas Anderson's entire career, and everything that he set out to accomplish as a director. All of that should just be a tease for all the stuff that we've got going on in 2022. It's been an interesting year. It's been a transitional year, but we've had so much fun giving you guys all of this content that we have just painstakingly put so much of our time into with this strange transition from the pandemic back into the real world. Chris, where can the good people follow you on the interwebs with all of your new products that you've got going on? Yeah, they can find me here, of course, holding down the fort with my good friend Dom. And, and thank you guys again for another amazing year. Um, and, and also... Uh, for being so close to 400 subscribers. It's uh, really great. That was our goal we set out to achieve, and, and it looks like we're going to hit it. So thank you. And if you guys want more, of course, I can offer you that. Go to at Christian Ivanko on all major social media sites and hit that link in the bio of all those major social media sites to find my music, my other podcast. I have a lot that I'm cooking up, and I hope to see you guys there. But of course, Talking TV, man. Our fourth season is coming up. I can't yes, wait. Yes, indeed. Season four, dude. Season four. Mm-hmm. This, oh, what I will say is that, so season three, if, if I can kind of like put this in the canon of like, you know, seasons of different things. Season one, that's that that's the intro season. Season two is the fun and game. Season three is where we put in the work. I definitely say we put in the work. So season four, that's shaping us up to be our best season yet. That's all I'm going to say. You guys are not going to want to miss what we've got going on in season four. And also be sure to follow me on my Facebook and Instagram at Movie Nerd Reviews, where I've posted not as many... Sarcastic post, but I'll just read you guys a few of the sarcastic posts that I put up recently because I know, Chris, that you enjoy them so much. Um, on Facebook, I posted the unbearable weight of Massive Talent trailer, which is already one of my most anticipated movies for next year, where I said, a movie about Nick Cage, dedicated to Nick Cage, about him playing himself attending a super fan's birthday party where they have to enact a fictionalized Nick Cage movie. Sign me the fuck up. And then after that, all that I put is what I put my notice for when I watched the episode five of Hawkeye, which aired this past week, and I was like, it's the twists that just keep twisting. That's all. That that's all that you get on the Dom sarcastic Facebook post quarter. But don't worry, there's still more that are always coming every week. Be sure to follow us with everything that we've got going on. Be sure to click the subscribe button. Thank you guys so much for 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 being able to give us a chance in these last couple months. We're almost at 400 subscribers. We're hitting our 400 subscriber celebration in the new year. So please, the last three people who need to subscribe, click the subscribe button down below. And as always, people remember: 12 scenes in a short film, and watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next time.